Go ahead. Do you want me to do it as your voice? Sure, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to another edition of Just What the Internet Needed More Of. That's right, it's a wrestling podcast. It's another wrestling podcast. It's called Top Marks. Another wrestling podcast called Top Marks. My name is Justin Morrison, and with me once again, as always, is... He's thinking of the problems of the people. That's right, he's the brain genius... Josh Custodio! I gotta tell you, Josh, I really can feel how you always get pumped up off that every week. Because even listening to you do an impression of me, I'm fired up and raring to go, bud. I'm telling you, that intro has some magic in it. There's some sort of uh, secret soup that makes it... uh, You wrote it, right? There must have been some magic magic in in that that podcast (laughs) intro, he said. For when he said it to start the pod, it was like listening to the voice of God. (laughs) What a track. Put that that on an album and sell it to me. Hello, good friends. It's us. It's Josh and J-Mo. Return of the Marks. Yes, it is. (laughs) Return of the Marks. Oh, yeah. Return of the Marks. Oh, man, there's a lot you can do. You know we had to do it. So as it turns out, I don't actually know the words to that song. <laughs> you lied to me. And I know you'll never me. You lied to me. And I do. And I do, do, do. <laughs> yeah, as we all know, Mark Morrison in that song was talking about podcasts is what oh, he yeah, do, yeah, do, yeah. do. He's, uh, and that's what we're here to do, 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 is our podcast, the, the world's leading wrestling podcast, uh, Top Marks. Yeah, it is finally back after a, a you know, may, I wanted to say brief. But perhaps slightly elongated hiatus. How long was it? It's been about a month and a half. That's a long time, I would yeah. say. Like, in the scheme of, like, a weekly podcast, that's, uh... Hang but on hey, a when Let you me... think about the monthly and weekly content that we've been delivering to the people, I would say some time off well-deserved. Well, I, I, I mean, You know, sports yeah. podcasts just shut it down during the off-season? <laughs> that's, can we... All right, let's, let's, let's shoot a little bit here. 
Did you enjoy not being chained to having to watch weekly wrestling television, like everything by a certain time? Because when we do the show, we have to watch Raw and SmackDown by generally Wednesday afternoon. I mean, yes, because I still have to do the radio show on Sunday night. Right. But that's a longer time limit. Mm -hmm. Like, I just have to cram it all in by Sunday afternoon. For sure. Which, four extra days is a not insignificant thing. No, I mean, it's uh, it's most of the week, if you want to get specific about things. <laughs> four is, days is, is the majority. majority. You're absolutely correct. I keep doing this lately. If something is like even 51%, I keep saying, well, most, and then people really don't like it. But uh, that's the way the one to seven scale forces that sometimes. I know. I feel that. Um, no, and uh, yes, I have kind of enjoyed ha being able to take my time and not feel like I'm cramming for finals. Yeah, I, very, I, I share in that where it was like, oh, yeah, sometimes you can just watch wrestling. <laughs> like, it's not on this, this timeline. But. I will also say that, like, it's been overwhelming the amount of wrestling that there is to watch lately. It is. I mean, I was a talking friend to show the Zoops today. Like, this week alone, I watched wow, GCW. Wow, much? <laughs> yeah, that's. Talking to the Zoops. Yeah, listen. I, Must be nice, bud. Don't get me wrong. He only responds to one of every 50 <laughs> messages I send him in a row. A lot of question marks. A lot of you there. Hey, Zoops. What's up? You, you up, there? You up? <laughs> yeah, I just, you up, Zoops? Yeah, he, whereas he could just send me just a question mark at 4 a.m. and I'd, you know, set off fireworks. Of course, <laughs> but, of course. But, okay, so GCW on Sunday, Monday Night Raw, nothing on Tuesday, two shows Wednesday, nothing Thursday, SmackDown Friday, we're going to a show, a local show Friday, and then pay-per-view Sunday. Yeah. And that is a week where I didn't watch any Impact, Ring of Honor, or New Japan. Because Impact is now moving to Tuesday. They're yeah. taking over the vacated SmackDown slot. Yeah. And you have to, like, I mean... The, the two shows on Wednesday is the real doozy. Just any part of you. So it is the Wednesday Night Wars. Have become, although this is so – when people position it as like a war, it's just so much less of a war than like two cable companies putting everything behind these two and who's going to win. I do feel like NXT being on the network, it's not as pure as I would like. I would like AEW to go against one of the WWE lead programs. Yeah. But, uh, but also like to me, I feel like we are witnessing – NXT evolving into its like most evil final form, right? <laughs> it, because uh, it's gone from a killer indie to an indie killer, and well, like it's it, it always was a, an indie killer on yeah. some level because it existed primarily to pluck all of the top talents away from PWG and ROH, exactly, yeah. and and stop any company from rising to a level where it could potentially become a threat the way AEW is now a quote unquote threat, right? Um. And now it exists to just to try and put AEW out of business. Like, not even take the guys away from there. Just, like, steal all of its audience and make sure that there's no money to be made off of wrestling that does not go to WWE. And I know that that's the nature of capitalism, but it also is, like... Could this company just like not be transparently evil on every <laughs> level, please? <laughs> I know, I know that this isn't reality, and they couldn't have done this. But the, if you want to call it like the unromanticizing of NXT, a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong, NXT I'm sure is still going to be a, a great program. Probably it's going to outperform. I'm sure Raw and Dynamite and SmackDown on certain weeks. Like I'm sure that's still going to happen. But in terms of it being like this nugget that's tucked away in one hour, it, 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 I can't help but feel like there has been a funeral of sorts in my mind. I really do. And, and that's disappointing because I think for years NXT was sort of 
no matter what you thought about the WWE programming at some point in time, you could sort of rest your hat on, on NXT. You know what I mean? And yeah. you could see what the, the next class looks like. And I, now that it's not clear if there's that graduation, there's a lot of interest loss there for me. And there's a lot of interest loss in terms of those people arriving on the main roster. I mean, yeah, I think that's kind of heightened as well by the idea of NXT is now a place that we send people back to. Mm. Like, I didn't think that even sending fashion police back to NXT for more than just a brief surprise comeback stint Mm -hmm. was a very good idea. And if Finn Balor is going to be there on a semi-permanent basis, who knows how long he's going to stay, but I would imagine like three months at least. Right. Well, for sure, at least three months. It's it's kind of uh, this weird situation of like... Yeah, I don't because what what if what were we talking about our complaints about NXT the last time you and I sat down to record after Takeover? It, it operates as a conveyor belt. Yeah, the, and right now there's a stall on the line mm-hmm. and no one can move forward. That's right. Is that not going to be exasperated by the fact that no one is going to be moving forward? Like even the fact that street profits are still on NXT when they are consistently one of the most entertaining things on Raw. It's like. It, what are we doing here on some level? It, I guess it's sort of we have to wait and see, I guess, is the only answer. Because I don't know that that graduation dynamic is completely gone. Like, we don't mm. know how they're going to treat it yet. Like, do, do you, and you can go back on this months from now, just right now in the moment, do you feel like Finn Balor got demoted going back to NXT in profile? Not uh, to you and I, but in profile, is it a step down to go to NXT or do you feel it was lateral for yes, Balor? Yes, it is a step yeah. down. Yeah, it is, right? But at the same time, it is an admission of defeat. Mm. It, it is main roster WWE being like, we have really dropped the ball on this guy. How do we heat him up in a way that the people who used to care about him can care about him in the same way that they did before? It's by putting him right back to the same place that people cared about him when he was at his hottest. And there's not, I don't think that's the wrong move. I do. What I am somewhat concerned about is that they have introduced now so many potential foes for Adam Cole who are on either side of the alignment chain, that it's like, you and I have talked about this before. Adam Cole is like a heel in name only. <laughs> yeah. He is received as a baby face. He has the... the well, he plays like a baby he face. He plays like a baby face, but he has heel tactics, and we're yeah. supposed to accept that he is a heel. Yeah. He just stopped slapping his knees, going for the taunt, and shooting his hands but in the air. But in the same show, you have put future Adam Cole programs on the table against Finn Balor yep. and against Tommaso Ciampa. Like you say, opposite. But, but like, is Ciampa a babyface? He got a babyface return welcome, for the for, but that might just be that crowd happy to see him. Yeah, I think that's all that was. And, and like, it's just confusing to me. Is this guy whatever you need him to be in any given moment? Because he can be received either way. And is that useful or is that kind of a getting away from the fundamentals of how wrestling is supposed to work. Man, it, it's so, so tricky. And I hate to give almost a non-answer here, but it, it's like so many things in wrestling. It's did did they pull it off and how was it done? Because there are instances, CM Punk comes to mind, and I'm sorry to just sound like myself here, but there, there's a guy oh, that like... Lots of things to talk about with CM Punk. My lately. goodness, I, I could do the CM Punk podcast. We'll get there. Top punks. Uh, but but he was a guy who I did feel could sort of flirt that line between cool heel, received his baby face, turn on the crowd. Kevin Owens has a bit of it, but not to the same degree. They, um, Kevin Owens has only embraced it in the last like three months. That's right. So I do think ultimately that, and if you want for proof of this, look no further than Tommaso Ciampa versus Johnny Gargano or Jericho versus Owens. I think to have like a, or Punk Cena certainly, to have a very crystallized top end feud with the crowd doing what it wants, 
I think it's always best with a clear heel and a clear baby face. Is there room within the triple threat sphere or, or you know, somebody playing different parts of their personality? There is, but you have to be a nuanced performer to pull that off because that just becomes shitty and gray very, very quickly. And we can think of a million examples of that. I mean, the, all the talk in our group chat today was about uh, what we want for war games. Right. And there are people who are very much on board with wanting to see Imperium versus Undisputed Era count yeah. me among them in a big way. <laughs> yeah. But there are also people who are saying, you know, well, those guys hold all the belts. So what does your undercard outside of the War Games match look like? Sure. And also, that's two heel teams. Is there time to turn Undisputed Era into baby faces before War Games? First of all, I would say absolutely there is, especially yeah. on a two-hour show. Yeah. Uh, but do you want to do that? Do you do you want to? Is Undisputed Era at the point in their NXT run where they do the DX thing of mm. embracing the crowd reaction and becoming babyfaces? I don't think so. Uh, I think that right now it serves NXT programming. Again, I'm going with this mindset of there's people who are now watching it or exposed to it who haven't seen it before, which is maybe even not true, but it is how a new show on TV needs to be presented. And I think that Undisputed Era, holding all the belts, top faction, you can look at AEW the, the, the same night, I think it's a clear story, and I think it's easy for people to understand, oh, these these guys are the best. Look, they have all the belts, and they work together, and this sort of thing. So while don't UDE and Imperium in war games, I mean, we know Alexander Wolf in a war game, and our friend Kirk had the best booking idea of the year in having Walter just chop his way out of the, the cell, which is magnificent. But no, I think the belts and Undisputed as like your top heel group should survive one more takeover. And you are... What you just said presented it in such a way that I've never thought about it at all. Oh, what's that? Which is like, I'm coming at this from the angle of like, I am holding a bit of a grudge against NXT right now. Oh. Because of our Toronto trip. Oh, sure. Be yeah. Because it, like, yes, we got a show full of great wrestling. Yeah. But we got a static show that maintained status quo. I think we both said on the, the review show that we thought it was good, not great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like... What was the ideology and like excitement factor of booking this trip and going to Toronto in the first place? Why did we go to Toronto instead of Chicago? To see Velveteen Dream. Well, that's part of it. But, <laughs> but in your exact words, it was to be a part of a takeover during the era where takeovers still matter. Yes. And when we come out of that show, I wonder if we're too late. I think we'll know at the next one. You're probably right. Because this could be like a, a TakeOver London thing where it's like well, the last one that I think of is like good, not great, where it's like, okay, the show just underperformed a little bit. Like that that could very much be the case. And if and now benefit of hindsight counts for a lot, but were we ever going to get that into Cole and Gargano going again for the hundredth time and, and especially in that match style? I, I don't know. But the thing is like I came into that weekend telling you there is a possibility that Gargano comes or uh, Champa, Champa comes, comes back. back, yeah. And people were like, "Well, I, I, but he's still like six months away from what the dirt sheets yeah. are saying." Like, well, some people are saying that, and some people are saying he's ready to go right now. And some people just say, <laughs> "Ignore the dirt sheets entirely." <laughs> but <laughs> you could guess at about the same accuracy. I would them. like we are not so far removed from Toronto that it's like impossible that Champa couldn't have come back that night. There's all sorts of mm. things. I feel like they put on a stagnant status quo show that night so they could hold everything that, that was going to be exciting, every big thing that they could possibly do for the launch of TV, the TV and the slow rollout and especially the first night where you go head-to-head with AEW. What did they do on the show that made you think that? Like, what did they hold back for last night? Any sort of title changes, like, you know, uh, our man uh, fucking Roddy Strong winning the North American yep. title. Yep. 
I mean, I guess they made this title change before the TV launch, but putting the tag belts back on Red Dragon. No, that's what I mean. Put, like putting I, all the gold on, like, but even like they had a title change. I brought this up earlier, and you pushed back on it before we recorded. But I feel like the build of that uh, Matt Riddle, Riddle Dane. Dane feud in any other summer. That would have been a big takeover match. Sure. And it might not necessarily have been the blow-off, but it wouldn't have just been a four-minute brawl that's building to the future for a TV payoff. You know? Like, they built stuff up over the course of the entire summer for the purpose of having stuff for the TV launch, which you're not going to have. But Dane and Riddle weren't on TV. Uh, The last couple weeks. Right. It was the main event of the first show. I thought you meant opposite. And then it was the biggest match of the second show. Right. So, but, so, like, yeah, it wasn't last night. I I, I see what you're saying. But, like, they they clearly could have done a bunch of things in Toronto and did nothing so that they would have them all for TV. And there's part of me that's like, man, fuck you for that. Is this your new Becky didn't show in Vancouver? A little bit, yeah. (laughs) I guess so. Because, like, you know, it took a lot of time and money to go to that show, and I wanted something big. And I'm not saying we got a bad show. We talked about this a lot on the last episode. It's just like, especially when things are happening on TV, now that TV is launched, that I thought was going to happen then. It's like, man... You fucking asshole. <laughs> now, let me and f- also, it sets an unrealistic expectation of what NXT on TV is going to be. Mm, now, that part, I totally see what you're saying, where it's like, is this a realistic version of what the show is going to look like week to week? And the answer is probably no. Whereas, like, AEW last night was probably much closer. Like, yes, there were important matches. There were title matches. But, like, any match that they put on TV is going to feel as fresh as any of those pairings, because we just haven't seen this roster before. There's so much value to that, right? Let me float something. This is going to sound crazy, but come along with me on this wild hypothesis, okay? Yeah. Is it possible you're falling a little bit out of love with NXT because through your veins is AEW love? Is this... Is this a, well, a little bit, but also even, even having held out so many things for television... Yeah. I still feel like the last three weeks of NXT have had a good amount of filler on them to, yeah. to, to get to two hours as well. Yeah, man. Like I, the I, very first show had a 10-minute match from our boy, the Bruiser Wade. Yeah. And it was nothing. Like, yeah. I, you could have... No, I agree. There, there's, There's been filler stuff on every week, and it's like, these are all people that I like. This shouldn't feel meaningless to me. Well, but, I, you, but you could easily... Which is why everybody getting mad about the fact that Sportsnet 360 is only going to air a one-hour condensed version of NXT on television on Fridays before SmackDown every week. Yeah. That seems like a good thing to me. <laughs> it's like how people talk about the Hulu version of Raw yeah, being exactly. way better. Just get rid of all this filler shit. Give me uh, the stuff that matters. I will say I don't think that NXT has earned being a two-hour show yet. Yeah. Uh, now, I, which is quite the critique because – I'm pretty easy on SmackDown. I think very often, certainly when it's good, it is mostly deserving of being a two-hour show. Maybe you have one or two segments that you're not so crazy about. But generally, I feel like it's earned its time. I haven't felt that way with NXT yet. Besides last night, I suppose. Yes. Um, But we know why that one is, is a little bit elevated. And maybe putting a guy like Finn Balor back down there cuts down on the need for filler. Maybe that will benefit that show in the long run. Can I tell you my very... 
deepest fear with this ballot thing. People aren't going to like this. Sure. But so prepare yourself. We, not... Well, we already know that uh, you know, the kid JC is no fan of uh, the ballot. Baller. Club. That's absolutely true. I am not. There's no way. I think well, it, <laughs> the only thing worse than him is the demon. <laughs> but but if I'm but if I'm shooting. <laughs> the one thing that I will say though. Yeah. Detrimental to Finn Balor. Yeah. Is we are what? How many years into this, guys, on the main roster and being in WWE overall? <laughs> Got to be three or four. Three right? or four. Yeah. Four years probably. Yeah. Since he arrived in NXT. Yeah. They have never defined what the Balor Club is. <laughs> or the demon. Is it, is it his fans? <laughs> no, well, I think... Are I we, have no clue. Are we all part of the Balor Club? Don't you count me in that number, <laughs> you sicko. Uh, but here's my fear, and this isn't just to, to Balor. It's just, it's just the fact of the matter with the way they've set up the dynamic between NXT and Raw and SmackDown. Any former NXT champ winning the NXT belt is not going to feel good to me. If somebody graduates to the... I'm going to just use Finn Balor here, not because I hate him, but because he is literally the guy doing mm -hmm. this. Finn Balor graduates to the main roster... Holds, I'm going to say never holds a big... I know he won the Universal title for an hour or whatever it yeah. was, but he's never this, you know, unstoppable force up there, but he's very solid. Then he can go back down and just win that title again. That dynamic is very... And I would be here's, saying the same about Owens or Zayn. Here's the metaphor. Yeah. Here's the metaphor. Go ahead. Me. Yeah. When oh. I, when I was in grade 12... <laughs> okay. When I was in grade 12, I was the editor-in-chief of the school newspaper. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. I was a senior editor for the school yearbook. Okay. I was a co-writer co-director and star of the school play oh my lord i was the captain of the improv team look at you i was a singer in the uh r&b band all right i did all these things yeah. i was the valedictorian of my grad class oh my lord okay i was like the star of the school when i was in grade 12 you were quite good in grade 12 and eh? then i graduated <laughs> and i went to ubc and I felt like a nobody because I'm on this huge campus and I'm just one guy and no one cares about me. Right. Can you imagine if halfway through first year university, I just decided <laughs> to show up at my high school again? It's like, you guys want to hear me sing? <laughs> I'm king of the school again. Yeah, right. let's go. Hear me. Yeah. <laughs> that would be fucked. I know, and the kids in grade 12 would be like, are you kidding me? I've been waiting four years for this. <laughs> Well, Get the fuck out of here! Uh, this one will just be for the the MLS faithful in us, but the MLS, the uh, Major League Soccer here, our North American Soccer League, is uh, they bring in a lot of high end European talent, like one per team. Mm -hmm. Without fail, these are often the very best players on the team, and you want it hurts the league sometimes. Where it's like, here's uh, Ibra, <laughs> and he he isn't quite in his prime, but guess what? That's more than enough to absolutely run roughshod over the MLS. Here's Wayne Rooney playing for yeah. DC United. Yeah, basically getting fired from his home team, and then he, can, he, he can't score a goal for Arsenal, and here he is on uh, United. He in can't the, help but get like hat-tricks. retirement league. So that can be harmful, and I feel like that dynamic very much, unless they want to go out of their way and be like, NXT is the third brand. The, the NXT title means as much as the world title and the universal title, but they're not going to do that. The NXT title is going to look different than the other two. Like the, So that dynamic is, is very concerning. But also, me. like, look at a guy like Velveteen Dream. I'd love to. Probably could have been on the main roster a year and a half ago. Thank God he isn't, though. Yeah, but he can't sniff the main event scene in NXT. He will, though. He, how long is it going to take? Whenever Cole drops that. <laughs> Whenever we are out of Cole, Gargano, Ciampa, the, the six-year NXT run between the three of them, uh, that, that's when. But, like, like, Velveteen Dream has clearly been a top guy. Yes. Since the Black Feud. Yes. Which is so long ago now. Yeah, I know. And, like... 
I look at a guy like Cole. I look at guys like Gargano and Ciampa and Balor going back down there now, and it's like you are taking years off of guys' careers. Oh yeah, to be in a second-rate program, and and I don't mean that disrespectfully to NXT, but like no, it's positioned as such. And the point of it is to create talent to make Raw and SmackDown better. When we talk about Raw being a slog or SmackDown not always living up to the two-hour running time every week. Yep. What's supposed to fix that is guys like that coming up from NXT and making this the best possible product. When you artificially hold guys out of that picture, it's just like well, those, those you feel in- bad for those guys. Those injections of life have really done a lot to serve uh, WWE over the years. Like NXT call-ups after a big pay-per-view are as much as part of their cycle as winning and dropping belts. Unless like sanity. Some... <laughs> unless, unless, my God, poor sanity. Eh? Is this that the worst call-up ever? Is it? It's in there, right? They never did anything. It... They became Shane McMahon's goons. For what, though? Like two weeks? For two weeks, yeah. and then they were broken up. Yeah, it's... And it... Eric Young is the producer now. Uh, is that true? I think so. Oh, my Lord. If you... You could probably think of, like, ones that have been, you know equally poorly used but i wonder if you could find people that in my opinion had as much potential you remember years ago sanity versus the shield felt like it's like oh we got it how do we, we get, there? get there we gotta get there or sanity versus the wyatt family we got or... it like this is the net and especially in nxt and they got the creepo factor the great entrance like wow you really anarchists you, you got some street punks you got something going here and and nope oh <laughs> yeah especially just the Imagery of like the SWAT team of the Shield versus the street anarchists of Sanity. It just they felt it's such a natural, a natural match. Pairing, yeah, and I, they never did anything with it. Now Alexander Wolf's just uh, going to be a cheer along with Walter. But, but Josh, so much has happened since you and I last recorded. Too much, almost. That I feel like it's just there's no way to catch the people up on what happened. Oh, J- JMO, I. I must correct you. There, there is a way. I, what? No, I, it sounds no, we're going to be sitting here for an hour going over everything. <laughs> Jamo, Jamo, a while. Well, we just got to cover what happened this week. Jamo, no you're, you're being Jamo. You got to let me. I have a solution. By okay, okay, okay. I happen to have written a song about everything that happened in wrestling since Top Marks has been off. This is my gift to the people. Oh, they, they, what did they think of this? I have written a song about everything that happened since Top Marks has been off. Okay. So we got to talk AEW Dynamite. We've talked NXT. But first, we're going to catch you up on the world of wrestling since we've been off. Are you ready, Madman? I've never been more ready for anything. I'm going to bungle this. There's so many words. Rhea Ripley debuted NXT's hours are two. Gnome Dar got a win for real. Rowan beat Reigns. The Fiend's here to stay. And Daniel Bryan is maybe not heel. Everyone's a cuck because Lashley is stuck. His tongue into Lana's mouth. The club still with Styles, though he's been champ for a while. Seth's pop culture hopes have gone south. Suzuki scared of Jushin. Orange Cassidy stays juicing. Naito said the belt's no longer his. Jericho had champagne. Cody vs. Spears was so lame. And don't worry, cleaner, I got this. GCW still rules. Gage is killing fools. Jimmy Lloyd fears MDK. I watched the Ring of Honor main event, which I do not regret because Taven's title run got sent on its way. Walter Chopbait, did I mention The Fiend is great? Braun Strowman feels boring to me. The top guys are smacked down champs even though Raw is their camp and I'm still not sold on Bayley. The honky-tonk Massey and punk rumors blast. There's not a ton of good story arcs. Donhausen is good housing. Now listen to our lesson as we talk about wrestling on Top Marks. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, Uh, get a load of that. So there it is. That's what happened in wrestling in the last six weeks. That's the gift, my friend. How long was that? 30 seconds, maybe? Something like that. (laughs) I'm all caught up. Whew. 
I mean, no need to go on. You know what? One thing that I do want to stick on before we talk about Dynamite. Yes. Uh, is this grand storyline that has been playing out that we were complaining about a lot, yeah. I feel like, last time we spoke, which is uh, this whole Daniel Bryan, Roman oh, Reigns, yeah. who's trying to kill Roman storyline. Uh, you and I last spoke complaining about just the frequency of which I had to sit <laughs> through that video package <laughs> over the course of SummerSlam weekend. But I will say, as much as that storyline feels kind of messy, perhaps, in the way that play- it played out, because yes. I don't think any single beat of that storyline happened the way it was planned when they set out to do it from the beginning. Yeah, either that or they were like booking it minute to minute, week to week or something. But you're right, there's no way they were like following this, you know, long-term plan. And it felt like it was going to culminate in a Roman versus Brian singles feud. Yep. And I was kind of looking forward to that because those guys had a great match at Fastlane if you're able to remove the ring work itself from the Roman deserves <laughs> my fans the real yes movement is him implications you, of it you like me right imagine how much you'll love the guy who pinned me with this finisher one two three hello the match was really good though and like I I think Roman has had a pretty good run in the ring lately sure I really enjoyed, like, my. what's my biggest gripe about that storyline is, like, well, I wanted to see Daniel Bryan versus Roman Reigns at SummerSlam, and instead neither guy had a match. <laughs> yeah, but I went to all four shows that weekend, which means I got a 20-minute match between Roman and Buddy Murphy that fucking ripped. It was one of the best matches of the weekend. Yeah, no doubt about that. So how can I complain about that, really? And ultimately, if they didn't stick to a plan, if they were just willing to follow the ebbs and flows of everywhere this storyline took them, isn't that what we always ask for? Well, not only is the answer yes to that, I think even in a way more low-frequency, pragmatic way, you're going to get a little bit of Luke Harper, Daniel Bryan in the ring against one another. And that is a pairing that I saw at a house show, but I'm also insanely ready to watch again. Everybody like, always gives me shit, I feel like, whenever I talk about that house show match. As oh, really? Like, something great that I witnessed. No, it was great. I, I, f- I feel like there's another friend of ours. Maybe it's the third Mark, Ryan Shaw. Oh, the Ryan He's Shaw. like, oh, it was just an average house show match. Oh, really? It's like... That was the only time I'd ever gotten to see Daniel Bryan wrestle sure. before he I thought he had retired forever. Well, it's like one of his last like three or four matches before he retires. So <laughs> there it's like he I mean, if you want to count house shows as matches. Exactly. But yeah. And so like to the idea that I got to see this guy at all yeah. elevates it so much. But I also think the world of Luke Harper and for Luke Harper to be back and positioned strongly and Rowan, man. <laughs> that match was so good. People, remember last year I'm getting booed out the building for saying Orton versus Rowan kicked ass and Rowan could actually go, like, in moments? <laughs> like, I can't believe, because, okay, yes, I'm surprised by his ring work, and mm. I'm surprised by how good that match is. Yeah. I wrote this the night of the pay-per-view at Clash of Champions on our Twitter account, and I was only partly joking Yeah. when I said, like, when you compare this to... The big guys, the like big hosses that have been built up to battle Roman at WrestleMania in recent years, I can only conclude that Big Booty <laughs> Daddy Eric Rowan is significantly better than The Undertaker and Triple H combined. I mean, that's you can't argue with the results. Have you ever seen Taker or Triple H hit that spin kick? No. Have you ever seen a match that good against Roman Reigns from either of those guys? My memory for Undertaker is basically Undertaker's never had a good match at this point. (laughs) So, so no, I I have to agree with your thesis. Even if Luke Harper didn't come back, even if you remove the finish from that match, that match was one of the highlights of Clash of Champions. Yeah, yeah, definitely that. Fantastic showing in the ring. And on the mic lately, he is just killing it with the promos. I agree. 
I, I I like the and like you say, sloppy, messy, not all that clear all that time. But but when the interplay between these guys is something you never fast forward on the show. Like it's it feels interesting and important and like it. It feels like a meaty core of the show. And even it, everything that's happened with Daniel Bryan and his sort of flirting with a face turn, I have enjoyed everything about this storyline except yep. maybe the reveal of the Rowan lookalike at the end <laughs> of yeah. the show that one night. That's that like, was almost laughable. That's bad. the only thing that I haven't been fully on board with, and maybe they even knew that it wasn't that great because they didn't even show it in the yeah, building. They just fully retconned it, too. It's like, uh, they, they never even showed it to us in the arena. No, I don't blame them. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wouldn't have either to the live card. You don't need a riot on your hands. But, like... I feel like there are a ton of people lamenting the fact that Daniel Bryan is turning face again. Mm-hmm. They have so far removed him from the genesis of this heel character. Like, the, the whole thing that we loved all along was this anti-commercialism, pro-environmentalism character from Daniel out. Bryan. Yeah. When's the last time that was even a part of his character? Not, not since, like, the very beginning of him and Rowan. And it feels like it got pulled out. On purpose for you corporate so? reasons, maybe oh, a little bit. I mean, like that's we always thought that was going to be the heart of the New Day Kofi feud, right? Like, yeah, the, that he, it was going to be the embodiment of commercialism, the single-use plastics of the unicorn horns. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And instead, Vince became the main heel of that program. Yeah, and we never got those themes touched on, and that element of Daniel Bryan's character sort of never came up again. So if they've shied away from that altogether, it's been a year of heel Bryan. Like, it has it been a year already? Yeah. Because he turned just before Survivor Series last year. So it's 11 months. Yeah. That's a long time. It's a super long time. Especially for a guy who, like, when he came back, it seemed impossible to do as a heel. And even as soon as he turned heel, within, like, the first month, we were on this show talking about, this guy is too entertaining to stay this way. Right. So how long can you really keep this going? Wrong. It's not too late. It's not too early, I mean to say, to flip him back. Oh, oh, no. It's not not too early. Listen, again, it's like... Too early is the right time to turn people in wrestling. I don't feel like people get this. It's like yeah. the the shield breakup was too early. That means it's just right, dummy. Like how often does wrestling just like take the sponge and like even after everything's gone, they're cutting out other pieces. Like, what else they can get from it? I I welcome with open arms. It has to be done well, but don't let these things get stuck. It's like imagine if we're sitting here being like, all right, I'm ready for Daniel Bryan to turn heel. That means it's bad. Yeah, too soon is correct in wrestling. And also. If Brian turns babyface again, he will turn babyface again as a babyface character. Oh, man. Which is like, what did he, why did he want to turn heel in the first place? Because he was just himself on television. Yeah. And then then soaking up this adoration of being the returning favorite back again and, uh, you know, so much emotion that goes along with that. He turned heel to make himself a normal part of the roster again who gets to play a character. And if he were to turn babyface again, it would be... Like, he would be a normal babyface. It wouldn't be this, can you believe, like, we have to soak up every single second of this guy yes. and appreciate it, like, handling him with kids, kid gloves every step of the way. You're so right about that. That little bit of distance, it weirdly reminds me of the horrible Jared Leto Joker about how, like, that's almost the, the like, breath mint. It's like, okay, we're far away from Heath Ledger. We're ready for Joaquin because we got this <laughs> horrible, you know. I'm not saying the heel run's been horrible, but it's, like, it's enough distance between the two babyface Daniel Bryans where it's, like, he doesn't have to be concussion guy who's so happy to be back doing this. He can just be yes man ass kicker like he was before and I think people would be incredibly receptive to that. And honestly, wh- like, what's the best that Roman Reigns always is when he's put into these kind of uh, 
uh, reluctant pairings. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> You're talking about the Bray Wyatt I'm point? Not, I'm not going to do it. But WWE did it. They made a top 10 list this week of reluctant partnerships that Roman has been in. Number one on the fucking list was that point spear. I thought you weren't going to talk about it. Well, I'm not. <laughs> Just saying that the Fed took the time. I won't take the time personally. <laughs> no, we would never talk about the GIF where we never do. We would, we would no, the talk. best wrestling GIF of uh, this era. Which who, one? Who could talk about that? Which one? I'm not even sure. Wow, <laughs> Jamo, we we got to stop bearing the lead. The people want to hear about Dynamite, but first, I think we sort of have to address. We're not really doing a Hell in a Cell preview on this week's show, even though it is this Sunday. Well, what are we going to preview? The it's show not has our no fault. card. <laughs> yeah, there's, there isn't a Hell in a Cell card. In fact, I saw uh, Brian Campbell, writer for CBS Sports, this uh, week tweet out. He's like, yeah, I had to do this prediction thing, but so it's sort of just like who I think might be there. And there's like a bunch of TBD versus TBDs. Yeah. Is this horrible that it's thir- yeah, Thursday now and we don't know what's on Sunday? Or at this point... Are we watching regardless? I mean, watching regardless on some level because what's the big thing that always comes up when you talk about why WWE has failed to produce, uh, you know, rising pop culture figures, stars over the last little while? It's that they want the brand to be bigger than the talent. Yeah. They don't want the talent to be bigger than the brand. Yeah. And that kind of plays into this weekend in that they are just banking on you knowing that there's a WWE pay-per-view and you're going to tune in for that whether you even know what's on the card or not. Uh, I would also imagine that this probably means we're going to get a bunch of inconclusive finishes on the big SmackDown show tomorrow night. That makes sense, And that there'll just be a ton of rematches. Like Shane McMahon versus Kevin Owens, their deciding ladder match to figure out who's got control of the company. We're not going to get a finish on that on SmackDown. there's no way. CM Punk's not coming back to... What?! <laughs> Don't you shut your mouth. To take the best in the world CM title back from Punk. Shane McMahon CM Punk. on free television. CM He's going to do it on pay-per-view because they're going to do a rematch on Sunday. Are you saying CM Punk's there on Sunday? Kofi and Brock is not going to have a conclusive finish. They're going to do a rematch on Sunday. Let me tell you, AEW is finished if Punk comes back on Friday. But you and I talk all the time about uh, the, the just the morass of uh, weirdness that WWE gets stuck in this the like mire. yeah the, the, this idea that they have to build seven things at the same time and it was worse when you still had brand split pay-per-views because they'd be setting up a Raw and a SmackDown pay-per-view and a Saudi show and the Superstar shake-up all at the same time those Saudi shows everything felt like a mess mm-hmm. but right now like what was the big takeaway angle of Monday Night Raw this week? I don't, uh, are you talking about Flair and Hogan? Yeah, it was the yeah, main event yeah. set up for Crown Jewel. Yeah, it was uh, not adding more matches to the show that's on Sunday. That Hogan Flair thing is, I, I I thought for a second they were teasing that they were going to do Hogan versus Flair in Saudi Arabia. That I mean, only that sounds like something that uh, Ben Salman would request. <laughs> it's his guys. Yeah. It's this. He wants Ultimate Warrior to be in the match. Too. <laughs> This is such a sad statement on things, though, because like I should look at Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair having a segment and being like, there's no fucking way that these have these guys wrestle. Neither of them can wrestle. But I thought that, J-Mo, and then my brain went, what about Goldberg versus Undertaker? <laughs> no, they, they neither could, of those guys could wrestle. They couldn't get it done at all. Yeah. Do you think Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan could currently put on something of better quality than than uh, Goldberg and Undertaker? I do. I actually think you're right. Yeah. I, I, no, it wouldn't be as physical. They wouldn't be going for the power moves. But like, if they did strut... Leg drop, couple chops. It would be better than Goldberg versus Taker. You kind of would be fun to see too, honestly. As much as we deride Hulk Hogan, uh, I just want to want to say one thing before we get to Dynamite about Hell in a Cell. And maybe this sounds crazy to say, but th- this is how much I love the Fiend right now. 
if The Fiend was like guaranteed not on this show at Hell in a Cell mm-hmm. and I couldn't watch SmackDown on Friday, I feel like my interest would be way lower. But he's been so much part of the advertising. All the ads close with him. They've done like the twisted commercials thing. So it's like, I'm in for like a weird show that has like The Fiend all over it in a way. But at the same time... Can you imagine, like, back in 1999, if, like, Stone Cold Steve Austin was crying about The Undertaker every week? He's like, Undertaker, you're so scary! <laughs> I, I'm they're, in the middle... They're really, they're doing the same thing that they did to Seth when he was a heel, which is, like, make him be a baby. You can look at it in that way, or you can look at it like they're doing what they did with Bray and Woods, where it's like... He's frightened of him you, in a way that you see the psychological impact of That's right. Opponent. If you want to get a scary... This is the problem with the Dean and Bray feud so early. was like Dean was trying to get this crazy unhinged guy over and Bray was trying to do like the creepy guy thing. So what you have is Bray being unable to affect Dean Ambrose and Dean Ambrose being unable to affect Bray. And so it's just two guys who feel islands apart. So while I agree that it does like dummy Seth up, I would love if he, like, really sold the spider thing in the ring when mm-hmm. he calls down. So, like, I get what you're saying, but I think... If and also w- the way they do the lighting, like, it's such a, like, a horror movie presentation that it kind of works. But it's just like, man, this was this is what you wait for. It's the same problem with Kevin Owens on SmackDown. It's like, you get these heels who are so entertaining and so charismatic, oh. but always booked to be just kind of wusses. Not toughs. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, well, there will come a day when they'll, they'll finally pull the trigger on the entertainment value of these guys and we'll get how they are now, but they'll get to be tough and win and be cool. And it's like, no baby face gets to be cool no. anymore. No, I mean, it, it, it's... Well, first of all, it's insanely hard to be a cool baby face to begin but, with, but like, to get the push. Kevin is. Owens is doing the exact same thing in this storyline as a baby face as he did in a, as a heel in his last Shane McMahon storyline, oh. which is like, oh, you're gonna... I'll sue you. Yeah, no. My, listen, I'm the last guy you need to explain. It. Like, like I've said a million times, Kevin Owens looks tough at the bar. You can't build that in wrestling. Like, the, the fact that if you saw Kevin Owens hunkered down over a beer, you wouldn't fuck with them, and they never want to steer into that. They're just like, yeah, he has these things. The heels are just one way. So maybe I just see Rollins and Owens maybe as like different in that sphere. Like I don't think Rollins necessarily would benefit as much from being presented as like a tough marauding babyface. It's just whereas I feel like Owens is burst for it. If if I if if these are your top guys, they should be cool. Well, that like, goes without saying. You don't have to necessarily. You can have a different approach and presentation of toughness, you know? Yeah. There's a there's a guy you would be scared of at a bar and there's a guy who has quickness and agility and all like yep. there's different ways to be presented in definitely, that way. Definitely. But ultimately what you want out of your top star is coolness. Like why does Orange Cassidy feel like a huge deal when he appears on television? This cool factor. He is the embodiment of cool. Yeah. Seth Rollins is not the embodiment of cool. No, he's the embodiment of not cool. <laughs> Kevin Owens, when he first started this babyface run, as like the voice of the fans putting all of our complaints out there. It was refreshing. It was like, oh my god, they actually know what's wrong with this product and are having somebody voice these complaints. That's disappeared. He's just a whiny little baby now. Is and the he's fiend supposed cool? to be a, the fiend is cool. <laughs> the may, fiend is for sure. So what if cool. he's the top guy? He might be, man. He, I don't think he's winning the title, though. I think we're getting a schmoz finish. I hope he doesn't win the title. I think Braun is interfering. I think uh, hmm. 
I think I think it's gonna <laughs> it'll be the exact same finish as Hell in a Cell last year. Can you imagine? A big man just breaks the door off, and Mick Foley comes down and says, "It's too scary. Stop the match." <laughs> <laughs> but like that feels like where we're headed out of the last couple weeks, right? That oh yeah, the yeah, fiend that's... has attacked Braun. Braun is telling him, "You don't even know where I'm at." anymore but, i'm not the boy you found in the woods well what you're saying is what i exactly think is going to happen yeah is that braun gets involved and it's a and, schmoz and, and it and turns into a larger program into survivor series as long as the fiend doesn't have to sell i'm fine with it uh i'm looking forward to the match though because like yeah. the as much as we enjoyed the balor match at SummerSlam, it's honestly probably the highlight of the entire weekend in toronto uh, just the presentation of it and getting to see him and his entrance oh, for the first time. The Fiend. Sorry, sorry. The Fiend's entrance. Yeah. Like, we enjoyed that match quite no, a lot. No, that was the highlight of the weekend. I agree. But the match itself was like a glorified squash. Yeah. Finn got to get a little off. Yeah, I think end. he hits the drop kick and then runs him into the corner for us. This offense. is going to be closer to a real match. Yeah. And per- it, and then I think there's a lot of curiosity in terms of what a real match of The Fiend looks like. Yeah, especially since the moveset switched so much. I rewatched that uh, Fiend and Balor match recently, and it's like, he really wrestles like early Undertaker, early Mankind. Like, it's very little, like, spots and a lot more just, like, going forward, very physical, lots of shoving. I love the neck twist. I would sort of forgot about that, like, live when he has... When he, uh, like, killed him. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> really cool. So, yeah, I'm interested to see what a full match out of him looks like, too. Oh, I, my... Final compliment for Bray Wyatt before we move on to Dynamite yeah. is uh, I, I, the number one thing that I loved about the finish to Raw this week, mm-hmm. after, of course, the, the, the third cucking angle of the show, uh, <laughs> uh, is oh. just the, the sounds that Bray makes when he locks in the mandible claw. Oh, what is, I don't even know that I've like noticed. He sounds like a monster. What like, does he he's do? Just, he's like yelling and, and just oh, making like, a, like murder yeah. monster Michael Myers noises. Like, How do you read that? Like, is it him being ferocious? I always take it as, like, Bray is, like, almost struggling to do it. Like, yeah. there's, like, the – there's a part in the battle match where he, like, goes to the corner and grabs his own head. And I feel like it's, like, he's, like, kind of aware he's of he's killing the person. wrestling between hurt and heel. Yeah. That, that's – wow. That's exactly it. <laughs> that's exactly how I feel it. Uh, yeah, you might be onto something there. I just think it's it, – it's, It rocks either way. It's vi- if I was a kid, those noises would frighten me. If that like this character visually is already scary, he's, but like what he brings to it as a performer is additionally scary. On top of that, the fiend is. I, is this even controversial to say he's the scariest looking WWE superstar ever? Uh, I guess Boogeyman is pretty pretty shocking to look at with the worms. Uh, Dwight but, the clown too. Yeah, fiends on the I'm absolute. Just sh- kidding about Dwight. Well, in some ways, <laughs> some I mean, people hate clowns. Yeah, yeah it's true. If, if you just saw the movie Shit Chapter Poo, then uh, you too might also be scared of uh, of clowns. But Jamo, we got to talk some dynamite. Here we go. We got to get dynamite. One more thing before we get to dynamite, sure. And I'm actually surprised that this seems to have fizzled out of the consciousness almost immediately after it entered it. Oh, this New Japan house show tour Mm. of the Americas. Mm -hmm. And when I say the Americas, I literally just mean America. America. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) three house shows over the course of a weekend across the uh, eastern seaboard of the United States. Yeah, I can't forget about this. Culminates with a show in uh, New York City yeah. that is delayed by 90 minutes and almost doesn't happen at all. And why is that? Because they couldn't get an ambulance to the venue because the booked EMT that attends every single show at Hammerstein Ballroom was called the morning of the show and told, no need for you to appear this evening. The show has been canceled. Can you believe ROH pulling this shit? And they, they think like, okay, maybe the ambulance is stuck in traffic. Maybe that's what's going on they call the emt company and say what the fuck where are you yeah and the company says well you called us and told us the show was canceled first of all how do you not double check that yeah that as the emt company (laughs) come come on on. yeah 
also like this it like stinks and then maybe this is just like the pro wrestling brain in us <laughs> desperate to believe that everything is some kind of crazy storyline yeah. but it really stinks of corporate sabotage of ring of honor trying to cuz who else would it be who else would be mad that new japan is setting up shop on their own in north america only ring of honor of course <laughs> yeah so ring of honor is like you know trying to stab this company in the back and doing shady underhanded tactics this story gave, disappeared after Sunday night. It, did. it was it was in totally on Saturday, yep. and then as soon as Monday rolled around and we had the season premiere of Raw, I didn't hear a single word further on that at all. Uh, I don't have a ton to say on this except that I think you nailed it. Like, how does an EMT like a company like I work for a company? I know that if somebody's like, "Hey, you know this giant event you were doing in eight hours?" No. No, no, and we don't know that phone call, so we, maybe it was more, there was more to it than that. And but maybe it, the reason that we haven't heard more from it is because New Japan is actually completely at fault, and just sure. floating out the idea that this is sabotage is a lot more beneficial to them than admitting that they screwed something up. Uh, that's actually my lean, if I'm being honest. That it seems like the most likely situation, because a logistics swap up relative to, like, how did who knew what ambulance company? I guess Ring of Honor might know who usually does the Hammerstein. It does seem unlikely to me that 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 a rival company did phone it in. But who knows, man? If this if it was 1974 right now, I'd be saying that's extremely likely. <laughs> but it, my thing is, is like, doesn't that feel like a story that should dominate the news cycle? Absolutely. In any other week that we didn't have the premiere of AEW. And the full two-hour NXT finally on TV, and the first SmackDown on Fox, and all like this is such a packed week that this should be a really weird oddity in the world of wrestling, and it feels like it's just been brushed under the rug. I don't want to get too far into this discussion, but it's because there's no actual wrestling journalists. Like that would be wrestling journalism. Be like, let's get to the bottom. Of this story, but because Whereas, everyone you spoke to would be trying to work you. Yeah, and, da- and Dave Meltzer is, comes out and is like, well, I've heard three different versions of what happened, and I don't know which one is which, so I'm going to give you all three. <laughs> it's like, well, that doesn't seem very helpful, Dave. It seems, seems like you've just convoluted shit, man. <laughs> yeah, you just made it more complicated. But if you're trying to screw over New Japan, you know what? Fuck you. Especially if, you know, you're, uh, New Japan kicks ass. Let them come here. You and, come to Canada, New Japan. No one's going to screw you over. And I talked about this with... Uh, Kath Barbadoro on Wrestle Central this past week, but you just have to love that even New Japan now is getting in on like the Janellification of independent wrestling. Yes, for, dude, Rock and Roll Express working a main event match as six man tag partners for Tanahashi. That fucking rules, dude. T- tell me Janella was not an influence on the indie scene. Try and tell me that he's, he is he, a huge influence on modern indie. He's influenced Ballroom Brawl right here in our city. Tons. He's influenced the way that every indie books itself right across. North America. It's he's influenced, and if you want to say even GCW, I know they have a uh, Jimmy Lloyd's Halloween something or rather coming over, and I'm so I'll be stoked to watch that too. So I keep the hope they uh, keep that up. Anyways, with that out of the way, we can finally dive in to AEW Dynamite. Ah, sorry, Jim, I had to go get a drink. It's all good. Feels nice to be uh, freshly hydrated, though. Yeah, of course. And you were knocking back some freshly squeezed there. So ah, there it is. Oh, man, you got to love Orange Cassidy. Madman, AW's Dynamite, the home of one Orange Cassidy, as it turns out, not on the show yesterday. But I thought that was a great idea. But but lots to dive into here. Oh, yeah. the fa- Kind of before we get started, even, is Sammy Guevara even signed to the company? My understanding is yes, but I don't know for sure or anything. I'm not sure about that either. It, what, I can't even remember the guy's name, the dude who worked the match against MJF. 
Oh yeah, um, the the bald guy with the D twenty, and he's the... like the Brandon Cutler. Yes, Cutler. I don't even know if he's a member of the roster. I just Is that got... his name? yeah, I think so. Not bad, me. Uh, I just got the uh, impression watching the opening two matches that like, oh, this show can stay fresh forever. Just doing the exact thing that WWF used to do and still sort of does when it comes to booking job guys for monsters it wants to put over. Yeah. But, but, but like, everybody who's in this company knows everybody who's in every city they're going to go to. Yeah. So you can take the local indie star of every town that you go to and have them work a match against Cody Rhodes on free television. Or whoever, but yeah. And you're not giving away a marquee match that you would want to save for a big feud. That's a good point. And you're getting a pretty quality TV match out of a guy that nobody's really heard of, but it doesn't really matter because what matters is the star that you're putting forward, whether that's Cody or MJF or anyone else on the show. Yeah. Like, the... the, the idea that struck me was like they have a fresh roster and fresh matchups and everything that they do is going to feel new for a good long while but there's also this like kind of bottomless resource to them available if they really want to go that way that too. is an awesome resource to have I, man man i wonder if you feel the same i feel like dynamite is like almost hard to talk about in a way because it's hard to position exactly where it fits because it's hard to compare AEW dynamite to monday night raw because it's like, Monday Night Raw's been doing something for 25 years, something like that, where it's like, we just know what it looks like, and it's very easy to tell when it's doing good or doing bad, because we have like a very clear marker for which to measure it against. Mm-hmm. So, I want to be very clear out front about AEW Dynamite, that I really enjoyed the show, I felt like the two hours flew by, I felt like even, even if the only difference they make is that I like their camera shots. They have the people, like, I think they might be standing on the apron. I don't know how that works. They just had, like, way closer shots for some of the matches than guys. There was so much to like on the show, and I felt like it flew by, and I felt like, wow, this is a great day for wrestling. So any critiques that follow this, of which I have plenty, I want to make that very clear. Can I just say the number one thing that felt different and fresh and, and like, a throwback to the way wrestling used to look and doesn't any longer... Uh, was the the main event angle the beatdown uh, of Mox and and Kenny? <laughs> like they go into this VIP lounge area, which was entirely worked the entire time. I I think Bix tweeted like I've been wondering why is nobody in the VIP lounge reacting to anything? Oh, they're all paid actors. That's why <laughs> in Bullet Club shirts. <laughs> yeah, so. like, um, but but just the way it was filmed and cameras cutting back and forth, it looked different, and it kind of looked similar to. What WWE backstage stuff in the late '90s, early 2000s kind of looked like. Yeah, and, and it was in a set that looked. It was. I mean, it was a fake set. There was a lounge that was attached to the edge of the arena, but like it looked. There was a certain element of danger to that spot, the glass table spot. Well, for and sure. And the way it was presented, and the way we just got a dead-on clean shot from the side of the entire bump, flat out, no camera trickery, yep. nothing. I really enjoyed the presentation of that. And Me it, too. And, and when you talk about things that felt unique and felt different from the way that WWE has felt for the better part of the last decade and a half, mm-hmm. that in particular is a standout for me. Let's ignore that Mox entering and attacking should have definitely been a DQ and say that when they were cutting between like them brawling and the match in the ring... There's a version of that where I can imagine being like, neither of these things are served by this. Like, I feel like they're both just lessened by it. Mm -hmm. But I thought, like, they really nailed the pacing there. Like, I was, 
understandably more into Mox and Omega going through a glass oh, table. Why would that be? <laughs> yeah, right. But but I thought that that was handled uh, very very well. And and you always joke about like the oh, there's no time. We're going off there. It's a man scramble. Yeah, that they machines are rolling. That they did that I thought was was extremely funny. But but let's start at the beginning of the show if we can and sort of work our way towards. Absolutely. This. While we're talking about presentation, though, I have to talk about something that I think we're going to disagree on here. Oh, I don't want to because, because I really enjoyed yeah. this and I feel like you did not. Okay, let's hear. Uh, I thought the commentary team was fantastic. I thought that was Ooh. the best crew that, that AEW has put together so far. I like the fact that all three guys are certified play-by-play men in their own right. Yeah. I like the fact that they all took turns doing play-by-play, and it felt like kind of the the way that you'd watch a broadcast team calling a baseball game, where like nobody has a defined role. It's just a bunch of analysts and they take turns being the lead play-by-play guy. Yep. Like I, one of the things that I've learned working baseball broadcasts over the last little while is that like they change up who the lead play-by-play man is from inning to inning. I didn't know that. It's a really strange thing when you first see it, and apparently it's very common just to like let guys have a break from being the lead talker the entire time. And I thought it kept the show fresh that like Shivani and Excalibur and Jr. all got to take turns being the lead, and I don't want Jr. to be the lead guy at this stage of his career. Me neither. But do I still want to hear Jr.'s voice? Yes, I do. And do I still want to hear Shivani's voice? Like there is something to be said as a hockey fan when I hear Bob Cole. I know that that's hockey that matters right. because that's the voice that's been conditioned in me as a viewer over decades of watching hockey. Mm-hmm. That if you hear this guy, this is the voice of playoff hockey. This is when the stakes are on. This is when it all counts. Yeah. JR and to an extent, Shivani feel that way to me as voices. And if you're trying to recapture lapsed fans, which in my opinion, is the great mission of AEW is to lure people back. It's not just about attracting the audience that's already into pro wrestling. It's about the people who used to think this is cool and could think it's cool again if they were offered a product that appealed to them. Okay. Having those voices goes a long way to winning people back. So I do disagree with you. I want to make that extremely clear. But in terms of recollecting, <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> but that's a me thing. Uh, but your point about if you're trying to capture the lapsed fan, the voice of Jr. is worth its weight in gold. Those in two opinion. guys lend credibility, um, even if they don't. They're not as good as they used to be. I mean, I think I don't think anyone is putting forth that Jr. is as good as he once was, or even really knows who most of these people in AEW are, <laughs> or what vlogging but, is. But it's certainly not what <laughs> vlogging is. But I, you're gonna vlog. <laughs> but I, I don't know. We can say that on television, you old <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> Shit, motherfucker. What's vlogging? <laughs> so much swearing. Uh, but I. I thought uh, when Cody entered at the beginning of the show, I tweeted this from our uh, account at Top Marks Pod. I actually thought JR was magnificent, talking about how the American dream lives. I thought that was a, a really wonderful call because it sort of has this this nice double meaning of like a guy can can start a new thing and make a small business and can make it in this country. That's the American dream, and also he's you know caring for his father. I thought it was magnificent. And I the my big takeaway from that moment in particular was like. Cody gets to reclaim the legacy of his father's totally. work. Yeah, because totally. I've never been a WCW guy. I've always been somebody who's like, fuck WCW, that stupid-ass company. They were shitty, blah, 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 whatever. And how much of that is just me viewing everything through the lens of what WWF has told me? 
it's almost we're almost too in the tornado to be able to have a call on it. Of course, but like even just hearing Shivani speak glowingly about what Nitro used to be and what the first yeah. match on Nitro was and the history of WCW, it's like, man, if if I just hear people talk about it in a glowing way, <laughs> yeah. it sort of changes what my born and bred perception is. Yeah. Of this company that I've never really given a chance before. It's very understandable that that, that would happen. And it's v- uh, it's super cool for Cody to be able to do that because who was booking Nitro? Who was one of the yeah, lead creative oh, yeah. forces of WCW? Yeah, he's right there. Absolutely. Um, I-, I thought the commentary was pretty bad on the show. I thought it was... Did you not find it like really lighthearted in a way? Like I felt like they were seldom talking about the match. Oh, my problem like, was just swearing all the time. Yeah, too much for you? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, almost like the... The Hellboy remake that came out this year. Yeah, it's like, it, well, we're fourteen A, so let's prove we are every step of the way. Yeah, there is. A, it's weird because there is a fine. It reminds me when Howard Stern first went to satellite radio, where it was like, well, now you can say whatever you want. The FCC's been on your ass for years, but now you're on satellite, and he was like, I'm not going to swear anymore when I go to satellite because it'll be nice to be able to like. If it's there, not have to think about not saying it. But I don't want to force myself to like appear edgier. And I always felt like that was the, even though it didn't act true, it was the right way to position things. When Jake Hagar debuted in the in the <laughs> at the end of the show, Jr. jumped on commentary and was like, "I just heard someone in the crowd say, holy shit!'" And it's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Thanks, Jay. What was that? Did you need to say that? It's like, ah, "Holy shit, I get it." It's like, you get what? What are you talking about? Cody Rhodes versus Sammy Guevara was a hell of a way to open this show. That was, in my opinion, the best non-Ibushi, non-Dustin Cody singles match that I've ever seen. Like, I can't off the top of my head come up with a better one. Well, I I can't even think of other ones. Maybe the John Cena open challenge, but even Cody is Eh. like one of the lesser of that whole run. Yeah, he's the first one, isn't he, as Stardust? I think so. I think it's the first open challenge. Yeah, I think he's one of the lesser ones there. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't sound totally crazy to me. I'd have to think about it more, but but it's certainly a great Cody Rhodes match. It was phenomenal, and it kind of highlighted everything that you and I talked about in the Darby Allin match, where it's like, there's a really good 12-minute match in here that you just made be 20 minutes for no yeah, reason. you've got to get to it. I, and I felt like a lot of the um, All Out would sort of suffered from that. Like, but, but I thought it was great. I could not believe, and this is going to sound so stupid because people were like, well, of course, it's AEW and it's Cody Rhodes. But even within those parameters, debut of his company, I thought Cody Rhodes came across gigantic like here. One of the most genuine baby faces in all of wrestling right now. Like, he could do no wrong to these people. And I know it's like, well, of course. But I mean, even within those high expectations, I really thought you, you had something special with them. And, and I hope that you can continue that. And he delivered a match that backed it up. Like, totally. I yeah. think when you and I have talked in the past, uh, not on this show because we've been on a hiatus the entire time that this match has been announced, um, but privately when we've talked about uh, Cody, we speak off air as well. <laughs> Cody versus Jericho as the main event of Full Gear. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if that's going to be a, the best. It's not. And it probably won't be just because Jericho can't go as a singles guy at this yeah. stage of his life. But um, I have a lot more faith in that match after sure. last night than I did coming into last night's show. Well, if you wanted to take the opposite side of it, you could say that Jericho has a much better chance at having a good match with Cody. Cody's not going to try and force him into some super athletic high-speed match, right? Yeah. Like, when, when Jericho works Omega, it's like, well, guy, I can't keep up with you. But he can keep up with Cody. I just don't... I don't know that either of those guys are the guy who are going to take a B player and get an A match out of them. That's true. Yeah. Um, but but there's there's some reason for optimism with it. That said, how the fuck do you not hit a finisher at the end of that match? This crowd is 
behind Cody Rhodes to an insane degree. When he teased the Din's fire, which again no one on commentary knows the name of, he's got him up, he's got him up, he's got his ankles on his shoulders. The crowd is People popping. For why? For, why is he doing why, what's that? What's he doing there, Jay? Uh, and but he's got him in the position, and the crowd feels electric. Guevara gets out of it, and I go, "Oh my goodness, Cody's gonna re-reverse into that, and this place is going to blow up." No, it's a, like awkward off the knees roll up where the crowd and myself were unclear if it was even a three count. Yeah, that's fair. I I liked this match a lot. Me too. Um. So, like, but what's the best match you can think of that ends in a roll up? That's true. There's not many. <laughs> I can't think of one. The, Actually, I can't think of one. The finish didn't feel all that dissimilar to me, though, to the way the NWA World's Title match at All In finished. Honestly, I, I hear you, and, and that's I love that match. Also, I agree, and that is a big platform. This was the first match in Dynamite history. That's true. The first match. I my neighbor was over dropping off some. Uh, recipes and he he was like oh this is the new recipe thing you know i'll watch this recipes yeah, really I'm, that's I'm, what it was cooking and uh and he was like oh. jesse pinkman living across the way <laughs> yeah he's cooking and, uh, <laughs> and uh but he he caught maybe the last how long do you think the match was 10 12 minutes yeah about 12 minutes yeah probably. okay so we caught maybe the last 15 actually okay so we caught maybe With the you last cap if you count the video package that played beforehand I feel like the overall start to finish of the match was roughly 20 minutes. He was basically there right right before the superplex to the end. Okay. And he just like, and he's like, oh, this is new wrestling. And he sat down and he watched. And he was like, and so maybe this is influencing my opinion, but here's a guy who's like a lapsed wrestling fan, like everyone you know, loved the Attitude Era, hasn't watched since, is sort of interested in this. He's like, they kick out of all the big moves and then that is, like, that's the end? I was like, I couldn't defend it. I was like, yeah, I don't get it either, man. It just, I get maybe want to protect Guevara, but like, I think there's also a story to be told that Cody is scraping by by the skin of his teeth, and, and make that clearer. Then yeah, don't hit true. all the big moves and have them kicked out of. That's true. It just they want to present him as an underdog going into this Jericho fight, right? Which is tough to do when you're Guevara's also a bad opponent. Then when, you, but you're also doing this thing where. You have a wins and losses record, and yes. Cody's wins and losses record is very favorable for him. That's why he's getting the match. Yeah, but you also want it to be like, well, is he as good as this record shows? How many months until they get rid of the record? Uh, might be six or seven. Yeah, I'm, right I'll, after they beat Raw in the ratings. <laughs> That's right. Those two things are gonna happen in the same week. Uh, so then we move on to. I'm trying to think of what happened next in the show. Was this the Silent Bob and or? I think so. Yeah, because you. I'm the first person in history called him the Silent Bob and Jay. By the way. Um, and I, I complained about this before we started recording. The the idea that you come off of this big angle where Jericho comes out and beats down your top star. Which did a, feel big. In a brutal beatdown angle that goes throughout the entire commercial break in pitcher and pitcher. Yep. And you come back and you go into the crowd to talk to Kevin Smith, who is immediately like, Oh, yeah, Jericho worked on the movie, and he's a great guy. And I didn't realize I was typecasting him as a character he plays all the time. And it's like, <laughs> you fucking idiot. You are breaking kayfabe left and right after a huge angle on this show. Are you saying to- Kevin Smith has to protect the business? He does. Kevin Smith, protect the business, protect bud. Protect the business, What Kevin. are you doing, man? Oh, Kev. And he looks like he's dying. Like, I know he's gone vegan and he's dropped a lot of weight, which means he's actually healthy, but also he looks... Looks like he's dying of cancer. If you didn't know about the weight loss thing and you just like knew Kevin Smith, like as the jorts down to here, looking like clerks yeah. are Kevin Smith, and you saw I'd Kevin be like, Smith, oh, he has two months to live. <laughs> <laughs> you for sure would. <laughs> like, he looks like he's 
melting. And then this was easily the worst <laughs> segment of the show. Well, I mean, it just didn't make any sense. The the private party, like they You've they got, need to uh, Jack act- Evans and uh, and Helico and Helico coming out, and the camera never even shows <laughs> these guys. They come into the frame from the most awkward angle imaginable <laughs> to the point that you need to be familiar with their Monster Energy drink ring gear to even <laughs> yes. know what's happening. Well, and even if you are, it's not like they're big enough stars. You're like, oh, it's instantly these guys. And the and private then- party isn't like close enough to Jay and Silent Bob that it feels like they're actually protecting them. It Jay, feels like yeah. they're just in the middle, like they're going to fight over Jason them or Mews something. Jason Mewes drops an insult on this tag team saying that they can't win or whatever. <laughs> not and the then they have to, like, hold... It's like ghosts are holding them back. They're, <laughs> yes. like, putting their own shoulders back as yes. if people are there to hold them back that aren't there. Yeah, and Private good. Party can't get at them because they're genuinely in the front row, which means you have to have an aisle cleared by moving your actual fans <laughs> in the front row out of the way, which they didn't do. The whole thing came off as really sloppy, and you said this before we're, we recorded, and you're absolutely right. If WWE did this, we would absolutely rip into it. And I think it's important that uh, the show... Because I think we both do have a lot, and not just us, I think the general wrestling populace has a lot of goodwill towards AEW, and I like talking about wrestling positively, so that works for me. But something like that where it's just like, this did not get a, it utterly failed at what you were trying to get across. Like, this, no one got over here. It's not clear that these two are, they're feuding over Jay and Silent Bob, but there's no contact. Just very confused. Very similar to the SCU Lucha Brothers segment was, at the top of the ramp I later on in the show. Just about to say, it seems like the tag team presentation, it was not clear to me why those guys weren't fighting even. Like, they were getting tense, but there's no one stopping them. And, and also, like, I love Aubrey Edwards. Of course. And I'm, it's so cool to see somebody who's a product of the Pacific Northwest yeah. who's hitting it on this grand stage and made wrestling her full-time career and somebody that we've seen plenty at ECCW Constantly. over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, really awesome to see the position that she's in. I love that she was the first female referee of a main event title match at All Out. And she was the referee of the first match on Dynamite. Those are big oh, yeah, historic right. things that are very, very cool, and I'm happy for her. But when she is the first referee in to break up a brawl and has to hold back Christopher Daniels from yeah. attacking it's just the Lucha not... Brothers, it makes Christopher Daniels look a little bit. And I don't, I, I really like what? her, and I don't want this to sound gendered. But why is Christopher Daniels being held back by a tiny woman? Probably for the same reason MJF has to sell to Tully Blanchard. It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the, I am sensitive to that stuff. I don't know what you call that. I'm not like any sort of diehard. Like I love Dumbrest. I love Orange Cassidy, Joey Janela. Like the, I don't like. I'm not living and dying by kayfabe. But, but there are some things where it's like, but we're still in reality somewhat. It's the same thing that I complained about with Charlotte versus Bailey at Clash of Champions. What was that? That Charlotte got pinned oh. off of. Uh, yeah, a Russian leg sweep, in, or you know. Yeah, no Russian leg sweep. It, it, no, it was the what's it when you lock the ankle and roll forward? Russian leg sweep is backwards. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember the name of the match. R- move regardless. She went face first into the bottom turnbuckle, but it, she hit it soft. I remember you talking about. And this, it's yeah. the bottom turnbuckle, not the middle turnbuckle. So it was an awkward hit for her in the first place. It didn't look painful, and she had to be down for a three count, and the match was less than four minutes long. Yeah. Charlotte has been built up to be one of the biggest people in women's wrestling over the last three, four, five years. I mean, definitely. She's probably has the strongest build of any woman ever. And you're going to pin her in three and a half minutes yeah. off of uh, hitting face first into the bottom turnbuckle? The horrible. <laughs> it breaks. Like, there's something about the suspension of disbelief that's shattered by doing that, and I feel like you're correct in what you're saying about AEW in that same regard. Let's talk about some great things, though. Pac seems like 
if you're telling, like, I know he's not the center of the show right now, but but good lord, I almost can't wait till he is. The finish of that match was spectacular. I was kind of bored by most of the start of it, though. Is that right? I feel like Hangman's probably responsible for that. Well, t- no, no, I know that I come across like the Hangman negative guy, but like, and I know the Buckshot can look cool, but the fact that he always has to work towards the outside of the ring to get his signature, I, I really yeah. think it hurts match flow. I really do. And I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe it just hit at a point in the show where like. A buddy was texting me about how cool AEW was, and we were going back <laughs> yeah, and that... the text, and I wasn't necessarily watching the show as much. But it, it felt like the least captivating part of the show, which For, yeah. a Pac match should not feel that way. I saw a wonderful tweet about this, which was like just during Pac's entrance, which was like, and I'm sorry, I can't remember who said this. It was like, imagine looking at the bastard Pac and being like, Oh gosh, be like Mighty Mouse. It's like <laughs> it's like he looks so fucking awesome like yeah. this. Like and he looks mean and he wrestles mean. And I love the bat kick. I, I liked this match quite a bit. Not that, but I, again, I, I said this in our, our Patreon group, patreoncom slash marks, Of course, you, that it's just Hangman just doesn't really have it. I don't think, or at least not at that level. I was. This was the least into the show that I was. For yeah, the entire Dynamite. But when. Pac is the least interesting thing on your show. Your show's pretty fucking good. Yeah, that's that's for sure true. Uh, how much longer do we have here, Madman? I got to be out of here in probably about ten minutes. Okay, so let's let's talk about uh, Nyla Rose and Rio. I thought this match was great, and there were I, a lot of botches in it. A lot of botches, but you have to acknowledge the fact that this is a women's division that, in theory, when you came into this company, mm-hmm. you would think would be built around Britt Baker, yep, Allie, yeah, and yeah. Brand- where's Allie and Brandy Rhodes? Yeah. And like maybe B Priestley, who just got thrown into the mix in the last. I think, but shows. yeah, more. I think the the like that's who you would think would be the stars of this division yep. because they're the people that you've heard of before. Mm-hmm. They found gold in Rio, in particular, but For Nyla sure. Rose as well. Like they didn't just put Nyla Rose into this match because it was a historic thing to have a transgender woman in this position. Right. They built her up to be the biggest hoss in this division, mm-hmm. and they took the tiniest woman that they had. And they told a great story over the course of the entire summer. So everything that I said about fuck you, NXT, Killian Dane, and Matt Riddle, yeah. the Riho Nyla Rose sort of thing is essentially a very the similar thing. The, yeah. yeah. They've built that up over the entire course of since April, and here we are. Yeah, I, I liked this match. Uh, I liked this match quite a bit, even. But, but both these characters are found money. And, oh, yeah. And you have to appreciate where they are versus where they started. And just how into Riho every crowd she plays in front of is lately. Well, th- this is really why I want to bring up this segment. Like, how does Rio come across to you? Like, can, can she be sort of a, a lead face for AEW, do you think? I kind of got that sense a bit last night, if I'm being honest. I don't know how long this will go. Like, yeah. she might end up being sort of similar to, like, what Naomi has been in the women's division in WWE. So? In so much as that, like... She can get hot, and people can be really, really into her, but she's never going to be, like, the top defining okay. star of the division. That might be it. I would love to be wrong about that. Yeah. Because you look at this woman, and, like, she's not conventionally beautiful in the way that, like, wow. an Io Shirai or a oh. Kyrie Sane or any or Asuka, like, all of the Asian women in WWE are, like, Mamma Mia. None more than Io Shirai. Yeah. <laughs> like, she is gorgeous. Mama. And I'm not saying that Riho is not. But you are. She, She's not that's exactly what you're she's saying. She's not a stunner. She's not a model. She wow. looks like an average person. Wow. You know, but like that's <laughs> part of the appeal is that it, she it, she's ordinary and that makes her extraordinary at the same time. 
I really just like, like, even with her merch, like, sometimes wrestling is afraid to be, like, super dainty. And I feel like Rio is almost, like, established outside of other female wrestlers because she just embraces that. It's, like, delicate and floral. And I think it's just very interesting and it works with her character. I don't know. I guess it's just one of these things where I had never heard of her before AEW. Now, every time I see her, she's the one that stands out to me in these settings. So, I, well, I mean, go right back to the very first six-woman tag. what I'm tag saying. Yeah. The in, two Rios. Yeah. The two Rios. <laughs> she was awesome. Awesome she was the better Rio for she was, sure. She's the best person in that match. No, that's what I'm saying. Like every time I see her, she has my attention. I thought it was the right call, and yeah, I, I'm excited to see where she goes. I I think maybe I think she has a higher ceiling than you do right now. I, I but I will say they put out a documentary, four minute kind of interview thing on their Instagram, which like you could watch the entire thing on uh, Instagram TV or whatever. Yeah, IGTV. And it was a subtitled interview with Riho talking about how important it is and how much it means to her to be embraced by crowds of this size in oh. a foreign country that doesn't know her, that doesn't That's understand awesome. her language. And it's like, if you can use this platform, and this is what I really liked about the video package that played before Cody and Sammy Guevara. It's mm-hmm. like, we don't we don't know these guys. We don't know this show. You have to think about, like you were saying about NXT earlier, this is a brand new show for a brand new audience that, right. that might not know who any of those people are. And so what you were saying earlier that I hadn't thought about it before and what you said about NXT is like, I want them to get on with things, but I need to remember the complaint that I have when NXT guys get called up to the main roster and they treat it like, you all know who these NXT guys are. Yeah, true. No, we don't know who any of these people That's are. That's actually really true. And the way that AEW dealt with that was like, let's do the fucking MMA-style documentary thing that just tells the story of what this match is before our very first match. That seems like such a no-brainer. Of course. And if they could do that every week, it wouldn't be hard for them to put it together because they're already doing it for their social media. Yeah, no, they should absolutely do that. Like You're talking about like what they did for Guevara there and, yeah. and whatever else. It was else. fantastic. Madman, what did you think of this main event? With before we move on, yeah. I have one thing to say about the women's match, which is this could feel an ex- like an exploitative tactic, but I thought the match was very much heightened by how often they cut away to crowd reactions, specifically oh. close-in zoom shots of women in the crowd reacting oh, to watching cool. the match. I, d- I don't think I even noticed that. But there that's... were a couple of times during false finishes where they'd go to a dude like pulling his hair out because he couldn't believe the kick out or whatever, <laughs> that's and that's great too. But like, I really enjoy every time. Like, There was a, a video that made the rounds on Twitter last month of – a little girl watching a boy and his dinosaur make oh, their yeah, sure. uh, entrance this, at yeah. All Out. There's really something to be seen in natural reactions from audience members seeing awesome things in wrestling. Like, it gets as much of an emotional draw out of you the way a crowd reacts to it Fully. and the facial dynamics of those real emotions as what's going on in the ring itself. And they cut often into the crowd to show... Women, just one woman, face up, That's great. close up on her face. You know, they they took they found like so you're five, saying they showed women in they, the crowd. They took like okay. five, they, they, but like not a not a crowd shot. It was close up on one person. Yeah, and they found maybe six different people, and they would cut between them. I thought it really enhanced the drama of the match. Watching women buy into the representation of women in wrestling. And there's something to be said for that. I totally. really thought it heightened the match. Yeah, I would like to see wrestling steer more into women. This idea that like wrestling is 99% men just is not true, for Dude, one. When and we go to Ballroom Brawl, yeah, it's, it's like, like the Commodore. 70-30, 65-35. single Ballroom Brawl, the there's percentage de- yeah, of women that's increases. Undeniably true. we got to talk about this main event, and we got to talk about the ratings. Big fucking Mox comes in, interrupts the match. It's incredible. The Bucks are doing their thing. It's very good. 
I thought the Jericho catch of the cra- uh, the breaking up the Meltzer driver by catching a code breaker was great. I thought the Jericho effect, having somebody Irish whip someone into it, makes it look, goes from the worst finisher in the history of Earth to very passable, which yeah. is actually quite the increase. Uh, anything you'd like to say about the, the main? Jake Hager was awesome. <laughs> Dude, a- he was so good. Do you think Lucha Underground watched that and was just like, Huh? I thought <laughs> I thought that the the camera work overplayed him in the end. Like the show sure. goes off the air with, with a big zoom Jake. in of him, yeah. and then sort of over to Jericho as well, and then back to just Jake. I would have liked a broader shot of the full Jericho heel stable because yes. that's the real takeaway at the end of the night. Wow, not so just this one guy. Yes, but him coming into that match and just wrecking shop on everybody in the ring. And the slow reveal that you clue into the fact this is Jericho's hired goon. This is oh. not just a guy making his stamp on the main event scene of this company. He was awesome. Well, and listen, I think, so, let me say, and I even tweeted from the account, I thought the Jake Hager thing was magnificent. I thought it was A tier. I think the idea of him as an enforcer and a faction is sort of the best use of him. Absolutely, 100%. Because yes. I do wonder if people have forgotten what singles Jack Swagger matches look like. I haven't. I watched his season of Lucha Underground. I remember his title reign. Like, mm. singles Jack Swagger matches are not good. I was trying to rack my brain the other night. Isn't he dangerous? Like, doesn't he injure people? Was that the case with him when he was, like... Gosh, you're sort of ringing a bell for me to, now. I feel like he gives people concussions. Yeah, did he? <laughs> this he, is really... If re- he did, if you're listening to this right now, please write into us and confirm. Is this something that I'm just making up in No, I think head? you're... Gosh, I can't fully remember, but that does ring a bell. But yeah, so so as long as he's enforced it and not putting on classics with Omega, I'm happy. Uh, but yeah, nice to see Jake Hager and to be able to present Jake Hager something that feels like a big deal. That in and of itself is impressive to me. And the main thing that really jumps out at me is that NXT had some genuine surprises last night that we were not expecting. Yeah, Balor. Every surprise for AEW was revealed beforehand. The rumor mill had that Jake was going to be there. Oh, did they? They announced the night before that LAX was the mystery team tagging with Jericho. I saw that, yeah. Like every, they even said that Moxley would be on the show, so even his appearance wasn't technically a surprise. Yep. Everything leaked. And, the sh- and everything still felt like a big deal. Yeah, I mean, especially with Jake Hager, that's almost impossible. Yeah. Like, it's, it's very impressive. So you have to, like, on the one hand, I'm like, well, they got some holes in that ship that need to tighten up if everything leaked. Overall. But, but, but also, the fact that I knew all these things were coming and I still popped huge for them. That's worth something. It's quite a show. Overall, Dynamite, a total success, right? Oh, 100%. It felt, I think they had, like, five of the top... 10 trends or three of the top 10 trends on Twitter. 1.4 million viewers. I think I had said on the show, I think they get in the 900,000 range. And then 400K who watched NXT flipped over and watched the replay immediately after. The overall total of the night on the back-to-back viewings when you combine unique viewers was 1.8 million people. See, I don't want to dust up the stats with PVR and replays and switching overs because like when companies do that, it feels like a cop-out to me. I think 1.4 million is just a tremendous number to pull live. And also, the key demographic that matters to advertisers is adults 18 to 49. Within that key demo, AEW outdrew NXT by three times. They did three times the number. Do you feel like it's a ratings comparison between NXT and AEW? I just really don't. No, I feel like it's a ratings comparison between AEW and Raw because yeah. this is the corner that I've talked myself into and I need <laughs> to be right. You're, you have like six TVs at your but house. But look, look though, like I feel like if I had told, if I had the ability at the time that I made that bet 
to tell you that in week one on night one, 1.8 million people will watch Dynamite? I would have said no way. Absolutely. Yeah, or certainly, even the 1.4, I would have said, I don't think so. Uh, that and, said, I don't think they're going to crest 3 million in six months, but who knows? But Raw <laughs> is about to become the B-show, and Raw's ratings have dwindled. They did a big number this week for yeah. the season premiere, but it was higher than it typically is. Yeah. They've usually been in the 2.2 two, range, three, two, yeah. which means that AEW on night one is already within striking distance, and... Well, millions a lot of people. When it, when it becomes the... <laughs> no, but f- another 400K is doable, because the thing for me is... If you're going to try to lure back lapsed fans, that's a new audience. You can't just be fighting for the people who are already yeah. watching Raw. And that needs to be AEW's grand strategy, and I think it is, honestly. Um, but the, the biggest thing is, if you tuned in to watch this show out of curiosity factor, you got yeah, a show yeah, that would bring you back the week I, after. I think that's totally true. Again, you should have had a finish in that main event. But, but uh, <laughs> it really is a sticking point. They did, though. They, they did. Well, true, true. You know, a finisher, I should say. Madman, nice in to be back opener, in the saddle. You said in the opener they didn't have a finisher. Oh, what did I say? The main event. Oh, there so was sorry, a yeah. finish. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The, the opener. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The Bucks got pinned in a, by Jericho. That's right. Which is the right thing to do. Build up your top champion, and and the Bucks lose nothing because it turned into a handicap match. Nice to be back. You can in have quote unquote clean finishes in a main event, and no nobody loses anything. Are you saying you can have it all? You can't. Sometimes, yes, you can have it all. Now, if it all is Top marks next next week. Can people have it? I I want to think yes. So I it's think on, so. so now you're putting the pressure on me. Well, well, look, I wanted to do the show two weeks ago. Oh wow! See now, now you're now I'm really to, throwing you under the bus. Speaking of protecting the uh, yeah, business, I'm Kevin Smith over here. Except <laughs> I look like I'm gonna live past next year. <laughs> <laughs> if Kevin Smith dies in the next year, we're gonna feel awful. Um, yeah. I, okay. Fine. I'll go on the record. We can do top marks next week. Yep. Yeah. So, folks, if you've missed uh, top marks on the semi regular, we've taken a bit of an abbreviated or elongated break, but. I'm so glad to be doing this again. And there are some discussions about a way we can do this show weekly, by the way. Yeah. There's, there's, there's mo- things are in motion to some degree. Yeah, so. it's dependent on if we break the million mark in the ratings this week. <laughs> yeah, if it, if, if it gets to five yeah. months and three weeks and they haven't beaten Raw, you'll never hear the yeah, show the again. The first I 45 minutes is going to be on USA Network next week. <laughs> yeah, that's and right. And then the next 45 will be on the Patreon. Uh, if you want to encourage us to keep doing it, please feel free to share the show when it comes out this week. Uh, we always appreciate that. If you want to hear more of us, you can always head over to patreon.com slash topmarks. $5 in the hat gets you into the best wrestling group chat on the internet. And Madman, until next week, Pepperoni sticks. Say yeah. Okay, you got to go, but you saw it, Astra. Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, me too. One of the best of the year. I saw Parasite, the best of the year. Yeah, I keep hearing that. It Parasite is. You know, sometimes you see a movie and it's like, oh, what am I going to see that's going to fucking? You already see a great yeah. band and it like can discourage you from playing music. Yeah. Like, mama. That's mia. how I felt after I saw. Uh, sorry to bother you, last. Oh, yeah. Sorry to Bother You and Green Book are actually, I think, the last two. Or, sorry, a Green Room, rather, Green Book. Yeah. yeah, yeah Oscar Winnick loves uh, stories about <laughs> white people learning not to be racist anymore. Yeah, it took me a long time. No, sorry, Green Room. Yeah. Uh, green Room. Just had to eat fried chicken with a black oh, person. Boy, and, yeah. and then you learned that they're just like you and me. Oh, they're people, too. Thanks, Vigo. <laughs> you jamoke. What are we talking about? Nothing about Oscar. I know. I really, I thought Ad Astra, absolutely Gorgeous movie. Yeah, I if you it. only go to see it for the design and cinematography, still worth it. Talk to you soon. Goodbye. <laughs>